Health Hour on cliffcentral.com. Well, it's a very good morning from me, Dr. Cindy Siwe-Fansale. You can catch me on Twitter at DocCindy, D-O-C-S-I-N-D-I. And I am back from Abu Dhabi. Yeah, I was away for a week. I'd gone on a um, course learning about um, how to apply business principles to the to the health sector. And it was really fascinating stuff. I think one day I should do a show about that. But this morning's show is about um, um, uh, pulmonary hypertension. In, in children. And this morning we were going to chat to, um, Shakira, who has a young child, um, Humera, who has, um, 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 pulmonary hypertension. And unfortunately, Humera has taken ill and she's been rushed to casualty. But I do have Dr. Fatima Baba on the line and she'll be telling us about, um, you know, the whole, the whole, um, project that Shakira is involved with, which is to, which is helping to highlight, um, what pulmonary hypertension is and so on. So good morning, Dr. Fatima Baba. Uh, good morning, Dr. Cindy. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for um for taking um taking this call, and thank you so much for sharing the information with us. So before oh, we, thank be- you for having us. yeah. So Fatima, just tell me how you got involved with working with Shakira and 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 Humaira. Okay, so I'm actually part of a women's organization, which is called the Caring Women's Forum. Yeah. Um, and we basically do it's an NGO which basically runs numerous sort of um, uh, projects throughout the year. And Pomoni, November being Pomoni Hypertension Month, mm. um, we basically, um, our chairperson basically came into contact with this, with this lady and, um, she told us her story and it was something that we were quite, um, taken aback by. Um, and so we decided to, to join her in this campaign to create awareness for Pomoni Hypertension. Um, and that's how I got involved in it because I'm, I'm, I'm a part of the organization. But internationally, November is Pomoni Hypertension Month. Um, essentially. Now, Shakira is a young mom and she's got four kids. Yes. But four, three of her kids, um, have, uh, primary pulmonary hypertension. Okay. Which is extremely rare. One in one million. That's in a general population. That's the stat. Sure. Internationally. And so for so her I to have, to have three children, three. that's, yes. yeah. And one of her kids has passed on already. Um, about three years ago. Mm. Uh, Humeira is her second um, child with pulmonary hypertension, and she's the little girl that has actually inspired this. She's a small little girl, beautiful, amazing little child, who um, says that people look at her funny when she walks around because they have to walk around with With an oxygen, oxygen um, tank and an oxygen... Yes. Yeah. Um, and that people don't understand that some days she's really well, like uh, yesterday or the day before she was fine, but today she's quite ill and she's back um, to the hospital. Yeah. Um, and people don't understand the severity of pulmonary hypertension. And for the most part, I think most people don't even know what it is. That's true. Actually. That's true. Um, and also for it being such a rare um, disease, we're creating awareness so that maybe we can get some pharmaceutical company somewhere was willing to do more um, studies on pulmonary hypertension because there are no registered medications um, for kids, pulmonary hypertension in kids. There's been no trials done because there aren't enough. Child- it's too expensive. Yeah, to conduct it's trials on such a small exactly. population. That's it. And so what's happening is that all the kids are getting adult medications in lower doses or adjusted for their, their weight and height and what have you. Um, but the side effect profile is quite drastic because it's, it's only registered for adults. Okay. That's the first, that's the first thing. The second thing is that, yeah, overseas or internationally, there are 12 medications for pulmonary hypertension use. 
Um, in South Africa, we have um, it's one, it's two, but essentially it's one because it's the original and the generic okay. medication. That's it. There's nothing else available. So we so, so they so now so someone has to lobby the the, the pharmaceutical industry, right? Um, well, that's what we, we're trying to, to get um, a few pharmaceutical companies on board. But the thing is, it's so um, costly, I think, for them as well. It, mm. it, it's going to take a lot of convincing. And that's the other reason we create, we're trying to create as much awareness as we possibly can. Firstly, to educate people about pulmonary hypertension, how, you know, um, what it is. Um, and that's where the Blue Lip Challenge on Instagram came about because, they have um, sort of four symptoms. They have dizziness, they have sympathy, um, they have the blue lips because they don't oxygenate adequately, mm. um, and then they have uh, chronic fatigue. Um, so the blue lips was the easiest thing for us to do. So basically what we've been trying to get everyone to do is put on some blue lips and take a pic um, and tag PHFA in there. Now, Shakira basically started the pulmonary hypertension awareness campaign not pulmonary hypertension month, that's international. That's, yeah, that's an international campaign. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so far we've gotten a really, really good response. I mean, everyone's taken quite um, uh, nicely to it. They've been on a road show where they've gone to schools to speak to kids and they've been on numerous radio stations yeah. um, just to create awareness of pulmonary hypertension. And so does, does, does Shakira have a website um, you know, where people can go and find out more information? Is she collaborating with any of the academic um, hospitals or the universities? Um, that question only Shakira would be able to oh, answer. Okay. But unfortunately, she's um, not with us today. I know that um, the last three years have been a bit rocky for her, and she still basically started the campaign. So it's still early days, and we have advised her. Um, that that is the route to go. Yeah. Um, and we've basically got a, a medical wing on the Caring Women's Forum, and we are going to help her with this. So we're trying to get um, as many. Um, um, we've got Prof. Tala, who's a pulmonologist on board, who's ha- uh, happy to help us yes. um, in conjunction with the university. So we just need to do all the paperwork down that route, um, and then hopefully we can get that. And just from a definition point of view, um, um, Fatima, what, like, just, just in, in very layman's terms, so that people can understand, what is pulmonary hypertension? Okay, so if we can essentially just picture our heart, you've got the right side of the heart and you've got the left side of the heart. So what happens is blood goes from the right side of the heart to the lungs. And the pulmonary arteries is what carries this blood from the right side of the heart to the lungs where it gets oxygen goes back to the left side of the heart and it goes to the rest of the body. Mm. Now, those pulmonary arteries get narrowed. And as they're getting narrowed, not enough blood firstly can pass through them to get blood to the lungs, to get oxygen to the rest of the body. And the second thing that happens is that you get this excess strain onto the right side of the heart because it's pumping against an increased pressure. So if you can imagine if you had a hose pipe and you closed it off, or you bent it in half, and the water is trying to pass through this little constriction that you have. So that's essentially pulmonary hypertension, where you have an increased pressure in these pulmonary arteries. Mm. So the rest of them look perfectly fine. If you look at them, you'd think they they were fine. Apart from the fact that they've got stunted growth, they're a little bit smaller than the general population at their age, um, they're fine. And as the disease progresses, they get the blue look. 
Um, but that in layman's term is pulmonary hypertension. So you're not getting enough blood from the right side to the lungs, um, which gets oxygen to the left side and the rest of the body. And then you get this increased pressure in the pulmonary artery, mm. um, which if you can think um, of no, like hypertension in, in the systemic circulation, it's the same concept, yeah. but it's in the pulmonary artery. And in terms of, um, I mean, and obviously it makes sense then that if you, if, you, if you can't fix that problem, your heart just works harder and harder and harder until eventually your heart just can't anymore. That's it. So you basically end up with right heart failure yeah. and then cardiac failure, essentially, from the problem. Now, there's, there's medication and then there's the lung transplant, which essentially is, um, well, not the treatment of choice because there is no cure for pulmonary hypertension. Mm. Um, but that's one of the routes that people do go, which is not even 100% um, successful. Yeah. They had, there was a story of a little girl who had a heart transplant. She basically lived to 21 and then passed away. So mm. Even and, then. And also, I mean, organ donors, organ donation is an issue. We don't always have the organs available. Well, that's the thing. The list is... Is, is exceptionally yeah. long. Yeah, yeah. But no, thank and you. And I mean, and then yeah. in little people, it's even worse. I would, I would imagine. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but thank you so much, um, um, Fatima. I think um, you know we should you know we should go onto Instagram. We should all take the Blue Lips Challenge, and really support um, Shakira and what she's doing because it's heart wrenching. You know, just the thought of, of of kids suffering for me is heart wrenching. I tell you, I think this is the reason why I didn't end up doing pediatrics because you don't want to see children going through that. So we need to support her as much as you can, and also we need to keep Humera in our prayers. Please do um, a little. Please, everyone, join um, the PH Challenge so we. P-H-F-A on Instagram um, and basically put on some blue lips, take a picture and, and Instagram and tag P-H-F-A. Um, uh, Dr. Cindy, if I'm not mistaken, there is a website, a pulmonary hypertension website. Okay, so I'll, I'll, um, I'll look it up. You basically just put in pulmonary hypertension and you get the pulmonary hypertension awareness website. It, there's all the information that you need on there. Um, I could be, I stand under correction. I am not 100% sure, but I am certain that it is there. Okay. Um, but thank you so much for having us uh, on your show, and um, we'll be in touch with you. Thank, okay, thank you. Have a nice day. You too. Bye. This is CliffCentral.com. Well, we're back with um, Health Hour, and on the line I have um, Faria. Um, good morning, yes. Faria. Morning. How are you doing? I'm great, thank you. Thank you so much for being able to join us, uh, especially at such short notice. And it's great to have you um, on the show. So your no story problem. is a little bit different from um, Shakira's because your child has got um, secondary pulmonary hypertension. Yes. Okay. So just um, just to give, to give um, us a bit of background, um, um, Faria, how old is your child, first of all? And then just how, how, what symptoms is your child having and how did you end up with the diagnosis? Okay, um, well, he's four years old at the moment, um, yeah, and I was actually pregnant with him in 2011 when I went for a normal routine checkup, and my doctor diagnosed um, on a normal um, sonar, he checked that the one ventricle was not formed correctly. Okay, um, so, so one part of the heart was not, was not formed properly. Yes, yeah, so the whole side of the, the right side of his heart had not formed at all. Um, so he, from there, he sent us a second opinion, which confirmed the diagnosis, and then they sent me to Sunny Hill, which is the, where the Walter Sustulu Cardiac Care Center is. Yes, um, and that's a very, very good center. It is amazing. The doctors there are amazing. The works that they do are amazing. Um, when I went there, he did an echocardiac while I was I mean, in utero, 
And whatever he said was wrong with the heart when Isa, his name's Isa, when he was born, it is exactly what the doctor said. Wow, Faria. Yeah. So um, it was a bit of a rough time from there because um, he had quite a lot wrong with him. Um, he had, in, in, in normal heart, you've got two ATMs and then two ventricles, and you've got two valves joining the two. It's like custard and a mitral. Isa's in utero didn't develop, so he had a wall, like a layer of skin instead of a valve between mm. his his right atrium and his right ventricle, which caused the right ventricle not to develop at all. And so from there, um, basically his, his heart starts to malform, and then he also has um, transposition of the great artery. So his aorta and his pulmonary artery actually switched around. Oh, my word. Yeah. Um, and then he... His, and Well, they diagnosed him as a tricuspidal seizure, which is his right ventricle was not formed. And that's the weaker one, which is actually a very good diagnosis. Um... But in his case, then it was switched around again, so he actually didn't have a mitral valve. Um, yeah, it was really tough to accept at first. But then, I mean, when we look at him now, he's healthy for now. Mm. our idea of healthy. And so, in, yeah, so, is, so in terms of his, his I, th- I think, you know, I'm always interested to know from... How do I call it? I call it the patient journey. Okay, so from the time that you had your sona up until diagnosis and so on, um, you know, the people that you have come across... Are they always willing to share information? Are they always um, open to questions? You know, do, do, are they there for you so that you can, you know, if you have anything to ask, they, you know, they, they tell you the yes, information? Um, well, in, in my case, I was really lucky. I had an amazing, um, amazing gynae who assisted me in whichever way I needed. And then I got transferred to a new gynae at uh, Sunningham Hospital. Yeah. She was also really amazing. Whatever questions I had, she answered. My cardiologist, really, from day one, he he told us what is the way forward. He told us there's a three-step open-heart surgery thing, and he will be going for this at, at four weeks. He'll be going for another office six months and another one day after. He's very open about it. He allowed us to ask as many questions as we wanted. He was there for us at any turn. The one amazing doctor was our surgeon um, who operated on ESA throughout, I mean, for the last few ops that he's had. Mm. He was, you know, there was one day we operated on ESA. He had an emergency division of his glenshan. He operated in the morning at 6 a.m. He called us. He operated, and then he was at Isa's bedside the entire day, the entire night. And the next day, when we went for visiting hours at 10 o'clock, he was still at his bedside. Uh-huh. And we were shocked. This was like 36 hours, and we asked him, and he said, you know what? I live in adrenaline. I can't go to bed, not knowing that he's okay. Yeah. That must have been very inspiring for you guys as well, to know that you have this doctor that's so dedicated. It was, absolutely. Like, the staff at this at Sunning Hill Hospital. I think they geared up. The nurses are geared up to deal with all these cardiac babies. They they loving, they nurturing. Um it is they really, really know what to do. I think doctors have an amazing job. Mm. And so is Issa your only child or do you have other children as well? Uh no, I actually have uh, two others. I have an elder daughter, she was two when Issa was born and then I have a baby who's now currently ten months old. Okay. Uh, both of them are healthy and no sign of heart problems. Oh so they were checked? Yes, they were. Well, my first daughter showed no signs or anything, and in utero she was fine. And my my last baby, they checked continuously throughout my pregnancy, they checked, and she was fine. Okay, just to make sure. And in terms of um, like just the emotional um, toll that it takes on a mom. I mean, I I, I always say to people that I'm an, I'm a closet pediatrician. I love pediatrics. I'd have done it, but just okay. seeing kids sick or and, and seeing children die really affected me. And I think that's why I ended up not doing it. But yeah. you as the mom, you guys on the other other side, you're the one that has given birth to this child. You're going through all of this. 
wh- how has it affected you over the over the years, um, Faria? And how do you cope? What's your coping mechanism? Um, coping mechanism, I think I just um, I'm the type of person that bottles up my emotions. So Issa was in ICU for nine weeks um, without leaving ICU. He's on and off a ventilator. It was a really tough time for him. I think more than other children, he really didn't do well with the clean shunt, which is an easy off. Most kids take 10 days and they're in and out. Really? For me, yeah, he, he actually had a really tough time. He went in for his shunt on a, on a Thursday, and then he got very sick, and the very next Tuesday they went in for the same off they devised it. When they did that, they had to leave his chest open. He was mm-hmm. put in an isolation room with his chest open. It's terrible, and he had all these uh, drains coming out, and, you know, the, the amount of germs that they... I mean, the hospital is the best place for them, key-wise, I think in terms of germs, the hospital is the worst place that they can be in. No, that's true because you uh, can, I mean, if you pick up, if you pick up any of the super bugs, especially in yes, ICU. Of course, he actually picked up MRSA, oh. which was terrible. Yeah, and Sunny Hill being such a good hospital, they've never, he was the first case of MRSA. That they'd hospital. ever had. And they were completely dumbfounded. And I have to say, um, the pulmonologist was amazing. He, you know, he, he came to us and he said, I've never, I haven't dealt with a case here at Sunning Hill. Whatever you guys are going to research, if you know anyone, we actually had a friend of ours who, whose granddaughter was diagnosed with MRSA at a, at a public hospital. We yeah. got into contact with her. She put our doctor into contact with a nurse that dealt with her. They were not like, he, he wasn't in any way saying, you know what, I'm not going to deal with anyone else. I'm going to deal with it on my own. He took advice from anyone. He phoned lots of people. And I mean, oh. eventually they got him to where he is. That's amazing. I mean, and you know what I like about what your doctor did? I mean, the fact that he consulted outside, you know, and that's, and that's the thing that one, one person can't know everything. You know, that's why we have other people to speak to. So you sound like you have a very fantastic um, physician who's willing to ask other people for help and for advice. Exactly. And I mean, he never, he never once told us, you know what, I have it under control when he didn't. When he did, he told us and he was amazing. But when he didn't, he told us, I genuinely, do not know what's going on. I'm trying my best. Yeah. And he researched and he did everything he possibly could. And so I have to say my, my, my list of doctors are amazing, really. No, they do. They sound like amazing doctors. But uh, so, so, but I mean, Faria, you can't bottle everything inside. I mean, there must be, you must cry or I don't know, you must do something to let it out. There is. Well, with me, I, I did have those moments. So when he was in hospital, I bottled it up for those, maybe say eight weeks. And in the last week, not like there were family members coming in and visiting, and I tried to tell them, you know, I said, there's germs, you've got to wear the mask, you've got to wear the gown. And, and wash your hands and everything, yeah? Yes, and people weren't listening. And, you know, I, I people mean well, they were coming to visit, they were coming to pray, and, I mean, the one day they came, and there was a whole lot of people I didn't get to see Isa at the last visiting hours, and I broke down. And I ran downstairs to the bathroom, and I started crying. And it was actually the nurse, one of the nurses, the head nurses who were there. And she said, you know what, I see you every single day. And I didn't know you had a mom, a baby who was sick. And I, and she says, because I see you with a smile and I see you. I thought maybe visiting a family member. Aww. But I broke down in such a way that I couldn't control myself. And I think for all mothers who are going through it, I think you need to either have little outbursts continuously or let it out. But that one terrible one is, for me, it was bad. Like and right now, I think um, with him being sick, Every little sniffle, every little cold, um, you worry and you stress and rush into the GP for silly things. And Aww. he looks at me and he's like, no, there's nothing wrong. I know, but, yeah, but you I have guess. to, I mean, you can't take chances. No, you can't. And in terms of, uh, in terms of, um, crash and, 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 yeah, and, and, yeah, play school, preschool. Okay. Is he in yes, preschool? He's actually at play school. He is. Um, he's got, he got, well, his teacher actually had a baby 
with a cardiac condition also. He had the same doctors as mine. Whatever. So when I put him in school, she was quite aware of the things. So she keeps me alerted to on the days when he's very blue or if he has a cold sweat or if he's not doing too well. Uh, with him, it's very noticeable to see that he's not doing well because of the pulmonary hypertension. He gets very tired if he runs a little bit or, you know, if he overexerts himself. But he's and a boy. He's years old. You can't stop him. So and do his lips turn blue as well? His lips are permanently blue. His fingers are actually very blue. I actually have a profile picture on my WhatsApp at the moment where his hand is next to mine. And this is on a normal basis. His hand is like blue, blue, blue. And mine is like pink. Aww. So he outwardly, you can see that he's a cardiac baby. I think just from color. But if you look at him otherwise, he's very, very healthy. Oh, that sounds... Oh, very, yeah. it, it, I, you know, I can't imagine what you go through on a day-to-day basis. And and just, just in terms of financially, I mean, that's that's of interest to me as well. Because, I mean, you're accessing treatment in the private sector, right? You haven't accessed any public sector care. So are you on medical aid? Are you paying cash? How does it I work? Am, I'm, I'm actually on a very good medical aid. Um, I'm just on a hospital plan. But uh, because primary hypertension, well, for him, his primary hypertension and his cardiac congenital um, defect is covered under the PM prescribed minimum benefits. Okay. Everything is covered uh, except oxygen. So he's currently is on home oxygen, which is covered. But now they've put him on 24-hour oxygen, which is not covered. Okay. So those, I mean, for little kids walk around with a cylinder also, it's very tough, it's heavy. The little oxygenation machines are ridiculously expensive. Yeah. So that's what we're going forward going to be looking at. But from from birth till now, I have to say my medical aid is really good. They've covered everything. They've got a cardiac support line, which covers everything. They give us a phone call every month. Um, but financially, it does take a toll. That's why there is this Walter Sisulu Cardiac Care Center. I know that um, kids all around Africa who... Get referred there, yeah. Yes, they get referred there, and they do it free of charge. So you're... Everything, from your cardiologist to your surgery to everything. That program is really amazing. No, that is a very, it is an amazing center. And um, so, so now this little machine, the machine that you want to get in, the oxygenation machine, when you say yes. it's frightfully expensive, like how much is it? Is it available in South Africa? It's about over 40000 And yes, it is. There's only, I think there's two suppliers um, uh-huh. because it makes oxygen. And they're very lightweight and small, so there's only two of them. It's over 40000 then. So, and rental, I'm sure, I actually haven't found out about rental yet because it's not yet covered. I wouldn't, I wouldn't rent if obviously long-term, it's going to be a long-term thing. Mm. So, yeah, over 40000 for the machine, it's going to need maintenance and such and such. And but, such and such. Yeah, so I think it would yeah. be great to get a sponsor, you know, maybe, maybe or, or maybe get the companies to, to, you know, to give it to you at a, at a lower price. And just, yeah. just from, like, are you, are you a working mom or are you a stay-at-home mom? I am. I'm a, I work from home at the moment. I'm, a, I'm an attorney by profession, uh, but I actually work for UNIFA part time. Okay. And so, in terms so of I, your day to day care, because I think that's what I want to ask. That just day to day care. Do you did you have to get an extra helper? Is there someone that is? Do you have a nurse or someone that's just dedicated to looking after your son? How does it work? Mm. No. Well, I'm his primary caregiver, yeah. so he's with me all the time. Um, whenever we go anywhere, he's with me. I think um, I do need him a little bit. I have a, a lady who helps me. Um, she also knows what to do. She knows how to administer his medication. She knows how to look after him, what to look for. Um, in that way, I have to I have to say I'm very thankful in that he doesn't need full-time day-to-day care. Yeah. I'm just going to await the signs. The problem is, like, outwardly he looks very healthy. Mm. And he is very healthy, thankfully. Um, but inwardly we don't know what goes on. Like, at the moment, his oxygen is getting very fixed, so he gets very sludgy. So it's not anything that I would see. 
Yeah. But it's stuff that the doctors just test and are finding and telling us, like, okay, this is the problem. But for us, we're not actually... You can't see it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and also in terms of um, the number of visitors and so on that you get, do you ever have to control how many people are coming to your house? If I was to come and visit you guys, for example, would I have to, you know, not make sure I don't have a flu, I'm not sick, or, you know, do you ever have to have such controls in place? Uh, well, I don't actually have those controls because he doesn't, well, now that he's at play school, he does. He actually contracted swine flu, I think, from maybe coming, went into, we probably went into a mall, probably walked past someone and then contracted swine flu. Yeah. But my other kids, no one else, got it, but just he did, I think, because mm. of his immunity. Yeah. He got, contracted rotavirus. Um, so he is susceptible to germs, but I think the really, really tough germs are the problem. Mm. He gets the flu very often, but very high fevers and stuff, but then he picks it very quickly. Okay. And has he, yeah. have, you, have you spoken to him about his condition? I mean, does he ever ask, Mommy, why do I have to have the oxygen? Or, Mommy, what is this? He does. <laughs> That's the worst. Yes, so we were trying to explain to him. The way we explain to him is that uh, his saturation levels... I'm sure you know as a doctor, everyone is 100. His is, he more or less tests at about 66. Mm. Sometimes it goes lower if he's running or if he's tired or if he's sick. So we had to explain to him, you know, we all have 10 oxygens and you've got six. You've got to take the oxygen on your nose because you need to get 10. It's going to give you 10. So he often asks questions like, why didn't God just give me 10? Why oh, Faria, that's so heart-wrenching. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got to explain to him, like, you know, and then we try to tell him because he's very, very intelligent, and we try to explain to him, you know, well, you've got a 12 brain and we've got a 10 brain. That's exactly <laughs> the difference. <laughs> and he's like, but I don't want a 12 brain. I, I want, want the oxygen. <laughs> but that's so sweet. I think, I mean, I, I'm glad that you're so open about this, Tim, because, you know, he has to, and, uh, you know, it has to be something he accepts and understands. You know, this is yes. his life. This is his day-to-day life. Yeah, and I think with him also, like, you know, he, uh, my husband, like, when he goes to the beach and the swans without his top, and he obviously wears the swans out for the river, and he's dying to take his top off. But because of his um, scars, he gets very shy, so he'll take it off, and then he'll look at people looking at him, and then he'll put it back on again. Aww. So for him, I think that he's going to now overcome that at a later stage. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think you're doing so well, Farry, and I think um, I really, I applaud you for, for the way that you've embraced all of this and just the way that you're open about it. I think, um, I don't even know if I'd have been able to, to handle all of this, but um, yeah, no, you're doing very, very well. And, and I'm so, so happy much. that you were able to share your story with us. But yeah, just so just before I go, is there anything you want to say to you know, anyone who's listening who may be going through this or has a child with a chronic illness? Are there any words of encouragement that you have? you know, to share? Yes. Um, well, I think um, encouragement, I think in, in, in respect to primary hypertension, I know that there isn't a lot of awareness. With Chakra and Humera, primarily especially, um, a lot of people don't know what it's about. And you look at a child who looks completely healthy and then you think there's nothing wrong with him. Yeah. Um, but the sad thing is that there could be things wrong. And if, you, if you're aware of the signs, you could pick it up and you could, I mean, ultimately present a catastrophe. I think if people are just made aware of diseases and aware of anything, congenital heart defects, I think a simple thing like oximeter testing when babies are born, mm-hmm. diagnose them earlier on instead of having a kid go through six, seven years and then collapsing and something happens. Yeah. And when I we could have picked it up earlier. Exactly. Early, early detection, I think, is the key. In my case, it was the key. Because he was caught when we were pregnant, I went through the the right channels and yeah. everything was done in the correct way. That is so true. Um, I think with mums, I think you should just talk about it, discuss it. I know be I know in, in our cases, the doctors don't advise us to talk to other mums who have um, 
in hospital, I mean, at the, in the ICU, they don't advise us to talk amongst ourselves. But for me, that is my Why, Faria? I think if they feel that every case is different. And so some mums might be positive. Like in my case, I was having a son who wasn't getting off the ventilator. And I had another mum. We were friends. Her son and my son had almost the same defect. Yeah. But she was doing so well. Her son, you know, went in for 10 days. He was on the machine. Then he went to um, high care. Then from high care, he went to the pediatric. And he was doing really well. So I think they don't want us to... Oh, oh, there we lost Faria. But oh, it was great chatting to her because I think I feel encouraged that, um, you know, there is help out there. And there's a mom, a young mom who's embraced this whole situation and she's dealing with it as best as she can. When we come back after this, I'll be chatting to, um, um, I'll be chatting about an ergonomic um, innovation uh, chair that helps with your back problems and so on. I am the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold, we are one. Can you put a price on your future income? And how much will it cost you to look after your family for as long as is needed? It seems the new Road Accident Benefit Scheme has an answer. 44,000 Rand, to be exact. That's the maximum amount you'll ever receive if you're involved in a road accident. Surely, our futures are worth more than that. This message was brought to you by the Law Society of the Northern Provinces. Go to truthaboutrabs.org and add your voice. This is cliffcentral.com. Well, I'm back and I have a guest in studio. Um, his name is Gary and Gary invented something. So the course that I went to in Abu Dhabi, um, they spoke about innovation and how difficult it is to innovate, especially now because a lot of things have already happened. So trust me, when I meet people that have invented something, I am so impressed because it takes a lot to do that. So Gary, thank you so much for being here. Terrific to be here this morning. Thank you. So let's just get a bit of background on who you are yep. and where you're from and, and, you know, just what you've, you know, what you've done. And then we'll talk about what you invented. Okay. So as an introduction, I was a physiotherapist in clinical practice. And, you know, every day you expect to see people with sports injuries and um, that kind of thing. And what you realize is that an incredibly high percentage of your patients mm-hmm. are coming in with with symptoms that relate to sitting all day in front of their computers, work-related things. So I left that environment completely mm. to pursue a solution to this problem. And how long ago was this? That was, I was younger and <laughs> and, and wrinkle-free. It was about four, 15 years ago now okay. um, since uh, since we started uh, ergotherapy. Okay. And and so, so your in- innovation was as a response to what you'd seen. Yeah, absolutely. We realized that people... The vast majority of people are leaving work every day uncomfortable. Mm. So during the course of the day, everyone gets more uncomfortable as the day progresses. So Mm. it's not a stretch to then say, well, everyone's then getting less efficient as the day progresses. And more importantly than that, it's just not a good way to live. You know, it's just, you know, if we all go to work every day, let's make it a space that works for us, that Mm. we enjoy and that we thrive in. So, and for most people, that's not the reality. Mm. So... My first response was to say, okay, well, let's try and make a change just with knowledge. So Ergotherapy started as a training company. And what I did was research, coming from our background, which was medical, yeah. we had the kind of, we had that component under, you know, sussed to, to an extent. But yeah. at the same time, to try and combine that with 
ergonomic principles to say to people, okay, let's empower you with knowledge so that you can understand your work environment, mm. how to set that up for you and the fact that you're five foot two and the guy next to you is six foot four. Now, if you're working with the same pieces of equipment, that equipment should be positioned a little bit differently if both for of you person. are going to be exactly are going to be comfortable. So let's look at the principles, apply those principles. And then at the same time, if you're already experiencing some pain or if pain starts despite an improved workstation setup, what can you do about it in your chair that's practical, that's realistic, and that really works? So that was the program that we started, yeah. um, and that's how the company started. And over time, um, which we can discuss in more detail, but to cut a long story short, we, what I realized was that – so the, the journey started with a knowledge response, but it then progressed into realizing that a knowledge plus product response would be that much more powerful. And that then journeyed into us developing a chair, which I felt needed to be created, um, and then standing solutions. So that was, that's the journey. That's amazing, Gary. So now who did you have to approach in terms of, you know, when you were doing the training and the awareness campaign in the companies? Was it HR? Who did you have to talk to? Um, when you're starting, you talk to anyone who will listen. And that's the thing. And yeah. were they listening? That's another thing. You talk to anyone who will listen, and they were listening, but I think... The problem at the time was, you know, I think companies and HR people have a very specific checkbox of things in a company. You know, I know that this year I have to ha go through, you know, diversity management training, tick, HIV training, tick. And then I come along and I say, but you know what? Everyone's uncomfortable. And all the training that you're going to be doing is actually going to be less effective because people are physically uncomfortable and getting more so every day. So they don't quite know where to put you. Um, and that's, that was an, that was an initial hurdle because I think ergonomics and occupational health and safety legislation, you know, as you know, in, in this country is, is a little bit behind. It's um, evolving, but we are still, sure. we are still behind. That's well, sure. So it's not legislated to the extent mm. that companies now have to do this. You know, it's not one of those checkboxes, which certainly wasn't then. And ergonomics, despite being so practical and real for people, it's really, I mean, by definition, if I had to give a definition now before even being asked, it's ergonomics is the relationship between people and the environments in which people work and mm. the impact that that environment has on people, right? Mm. So that's really real and practical, but it's very poorly understood. Mm. So we had to kind of debunk that myth to make people realize how practical it is and what the real ROI, return on investment is as well in terms of saying, if your staff are healthier, uh, they're going to be more efficient, and uh, there's, you know, there's tremendous impact that this kind of knowledge can have. And uh, the persuasion part, so did you, did you first build the chair and then take it, to, or did you have a guinea pig company that's like, <laughs> okay guys, we'll give you these chairs, try them out and see how you feel. How did you, how did you go about that? So the chairs were really born at a little later stage. Yeah. We were doing training and companies would say, well, if I do buy, you know, we kept our training very generic. So we'll go into a company and we'll optimize what you have. Okay. So if you're all sitting on tomato boxes, okay, well, let's try and make you as comfortable as possible. Oh, that's on great. That. Okay. That's who okay. you are. Because that's sometimes good. with budgets, that's what yeah. we have to do. So you, have to, you, you started with what they had. Correct. But companies would then say to us, well, if I do buy a chair, what must I buy? And so it, that started a tremendous journey for me of looking at chairs locally and internationally. Um, and not with the knowledge of design, which I didn't have. It was with the knowledge of anatomy um, and trying to assess from a very unique, I think, perspective what mm. works and what doesn't work. Mm. Um, and the bottom line was I said, well, we can do something better. Oh, cool. 
And so, so, so even better than the Aeron chair. E- e- you know, the Aeron was a big benchmark for me because it's it's such a I terrific have an, I have bench. An chair. Yeah, it's such a terrific benchmark in terms of design. Yes. And in terms of ergonomics, and I and I respect the product so much. But I don't buy the product. You know, at there's the a diff- air- and there's a difference. And you know, Gary, at the airport, so because uh, I flew out uh, last week, yeah. at the airport, OR Tambo yeah. and Abu Dhabi Airport, yeah. everyone is sitting on an Aaron chair. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I respect those are the kind of things that I would look at. Yeah. Um, the problem I think for the South African context was if you look at an Aaron, it's it's a, it's a very specific price point, which mm-hmm. is not the norm for most companies mm-hmm. or most small office it home office pricey. users. I must tell you, when I had to get yeah. one, I was like gulp, yeah. but I needed it. But yeah. yeah. So it's and it's also very difficult to use. Um, it's got a lot of levers, a mm. lot of functionality, and so my criteria was to say, hang on, let's create something that's super comfortable, mm-hmm. that's tremendously effective, especially in your lower back, right? I mean, you know, and let's tell the listeners, you've got a low, you've got a lumbar lordosis, an yeah. inward curve in your lower back. Everyone has that. Yeah. Most chairs go the other way, mm. so you've got a your your back curve going one way, and the, and the chair, chair curving. Concaving the other way. So yeah. you've got a big gap between where the chair finishes and where your back starts. Mm. And I said, hang on a sec, we've got to, fin- we've got to plug that gap. Um, so the design brief was create a chair that was super comfortable, super supportive in your lower back, super easy to use, locally done, um, and at the right price point. So that was really the design brief. Um, and we launched the chair, which our marketing campaign at the time was get healthier, get better, get one. Mm-hmm. So the chair range is, was called the get one and mm-hmm. still is one of our chair ranges. Um, and, uh, that, that started a tremendous journey in terms of, in terms of combining the right product, but then always saying, but let's maintain that knowledge component, which is how we started to say, I'll never just drop off the chair. Yeah. One of us will be on site to show you how to use that chair. Oh, that's awesome. In relation to your environment. Um, and that was Gee, really you, you the, filled that in was, all the gaps, Gary. Yeah, that so is that so was awesome. really the that was those are the ingredients that created the, the the impact. Yeah, and and in terms of the the chair being produced locally, um, so who did you approach? I mean, do, do, which designers did you approach? Can you share with us how was that? You know, getting someone to understand your vision, to see it, and yes. then to produce this prototype, the so, first one. You yeah, know? I mean, it was a very crude process uh, yeah. for me. Um, you know, because my design process was sitting with X-rays and angles and. Um, and that's because, the edge that you have, by the way. Yeah. The fact that you've got that anatomy background makes yeah, all because the that's, difference. That's what I wanted to yeah. address. Um, and and yeah, the aesthetics almost came after that. Obviously, we wanted to create a unique look and feel. But I then partnered with with one of the major, just a factory, um, um, a big factory in Johannesburg, to say this is my vision, and these are the these are the criteria for me. Let's start working with prototypes. And we worked with molds and with with foam. Um, to creating very crude prototypes and then testing those in live environments and tweaking as we went mm. until we were we were happy with the angles that we created um, and the finished product. But also because we were it was all locally done, yeah, um, we were able to have a tremendous flexibility with the manufacturing process. Mm. So the it was a different it was a slightly different vantage point and you'll find this interesting because of your knowledge of the Aeron chair. Mm. So what ergonomics up until now had done is to say let's try and make everything in the chair adjustable. Mm. Wider, shorter, arms, deeper, everything higher. Back, yeah. Everything moves. Um and that by definition is ergonomic. But for me uh, by that by definition was just making it very expensive. Mm. Um so what we said was hang on let's make sure that the design is correct first time round to suit the broadest percentile of people. If some, and, 
And then if someone is on either extreme of that, you know, percent, very, very short or very, very tall, that's okay because we're local. We can adjust on order that chair to suit that individual awesome. without it changing their price point, but at the same time not pushing up the price point for the, 90, for the rest of the people That's as well. Awesome. So that was kind of our approach, which, mm. was, which was quite unique. That's awesome. That yeah. is absolutely amazing. That's an amazing business model. It's an amazing journey, um, Gary. And um, so where can we get your chairs? And also, I know you've done desks. Have you done desks yet? Or you something you're going to branch out into? No. So the journey doesn't end there. We, yeah. we <laughs> The story is a little longer. I think in terms of the chairs, what we did was created a chair that that is fully upholstered. And I still love that product because it creates an opportunity to create, to be very creative with fabrics mm. and color and, and, uh, pattern and design. So that's still, we still do that. Mm-hmm. Some companies still want plain black and we forgive them. <laughs> and, and we supply. I'd want a pink one. And we supply, but yeah. I'd love you to rather have shocking pink or, you know, blue and green spots. So we are, we, we do that. The market still also very much has gone with, like the air on a mesh back, you know, mm. a, a netting, I've a netting seen that back. Everywhere, yeah. And that's where the designers wanted, a, you know, they, they, they insisted on us having a netting version oh, of okay. the chair. Okay. And that was a different journey for us because it was a different design exercise. Yeah. In t- because what you can create with foams is much, which are more three dimensional if you picture it. Um, the Get One range has a very specific three-layer foaming system to create that lumbar contour that we wanted. Mm. When you're dealing with a mesh, it's more like a, a two-dimensional sleeve, you know, that you're putting over the frame of the chair. So we had to get very smart with with what we wanted to do to keep that same ingredient yeah. in the chair. Yeah. Um, and so, out of the Get One, the Net One was launched oh. um, a couple of years ago, and. Yeah. And we're tremendously excited, and the market has loved it, and it's in a lot of companies, um, and a lot of individuals, and it's, so we, we, we give, you know, the market has the best of both in terms of, in terms of your traditional upholstered product, as well as the, the, the more, mesh, yeah. um, perhaps modern looking mesh back product as well. And the journey never ends, um, I think in business and in terms of innovation and in terms of what the market needs. And, the current journey that we're on now is that for the last number of years, we've been supplying chairs into individual offices and home offices and banks and blue chip companies. So the spectrum is, you know, is vast and it's been an incredibly successful and rewarding journey um, in terms of the satisfaction that we have. Because if we're supplying one chair into your, into your space or a thousand, our physios will be on site to make sure that you're comfortable. That's amazing. Comfort guaranteed. So that is amazing. If we can't get you comfortable in our chair, we'll give you your money back. That's customer service so at its best. That's how we work, yeah. and that's, that that journey continues. What we've realized, and what the world has realized, and I think a very current trend, and I think you you know you probably are aware of this, and the world is becoming more aware of this, is that sitting, regardless of what you're sitting in, is not the ideal. Not anymore. So even if you're sitting in our wonderful, wonderful chairs. Sitting for eight or ten hours a day is not healthy. Is not healthy. Yeah. Um, and there's been tremendous research coming through. Sitting is the new smoking. You yeah. know, is the new catchphrase. That's true, and that's so um, true. There's been very, very interesting studies coming out from the Mayo Clinic and other institutes showing that standing for part of the workday can reduce obesity significantly. Mm. There was a study that came out that saying, um, sitting. Standing rather, standing for 25% of your time mm. can reduce obesity by a third. Standing for, going up to, if you're standing for 50% of your t- the time, reduce obesity by nearly 60%. So that was quite astounding coming out of the Mayo Clinic. 
um, the British Journal of Sports Medicine has officially come out to recommend two hours of standing in your day. day. Now, how do you do that? Yeah. Again, it's about saying that's all very well in terms mm. of what the textbooks say. Yeah. But how do you implement? Mm. And in the market, there are a number of different solutions. There are desks that will take you from sitting into a standing position. Okay. So there is a remote unit in the leg of the desk and yeah. the whole thing will rise up. Yeah. Um, and those are, those are terrific. The problem is that it involves a complete change in your desk setup and at a high price point. So we have partnered and we didn't design this. This mm. is, um, this is not something that I claim is my own design. It's something that I, that I, that I, that I share a passion with, with a company coming out of America called Veridesk. Okay. And what Veridesk did was they created a desk-based unit. That is, you basically, as we're sitting here now, yeah. the unit would be sitting on our desk mm. and my computer or my laptop would be sitting on this unit and I'd be working as normal. But when I want to stand for an hour or two, in literally in seconds, there's a, there's two levers on either side and it's a spring-based system and up this two-tier tray goes and I'm working and standing. Okay. Okay. So we were super excited when we saw the product. They were super excited when with us you, yeah. in terms of our philosophy. And the way you think about about And our stuff, passion yeah. for what we do and, and how we do it. So it was just a great a great fit. And um, and that's been launched just this this now over the last few months. Mm-hmm. Um very desk. So um, it's it's for people that have started using it and especially as a combination. It's it's a game changer. Those are the awesome. those are the kind of words that are coming out of people's mouths. Yeah. It's life changing. It's a game changer, so that when you're sitting, you're super comfortable and efficient and happy. And but at the same time, the answer doesn't finish there. It's yeah, about standing, as, standing well. as well. And literally, the impact has been just tremendous. It's just the, the impact that it's had on people because it's so real. It's so practical. The yeah. impact that you're having on people, um, and it's not. And interestingly, for your listeners. People with back pain will yeah. already relate to what we're saying. Yeah. That I, I feel the need to stand during the course of the day because my back is almost demanding that of me. And interestingly as well, for 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 the ADD people amongst us as then well. I'm one of them. I'm telling you, know, for people that can't sit still, yeah. a game changer. Thank you so much, Gary. It was great having you in studio. And I'll make sure that I'll post this on all my social media um, platforms and also get all your information out there as well. Thank awesome you to very, be here. Thank much. you so much. Bye. Health Hour on cliffcentral.com.